0: Hey, everybody, and welcome to another edition of OD Wire Radio. It's Adam Farkas along with... Paul Farkas here. And Paul, I've got one word for you today. The word that raises the blood pressure of everyone on the site. Obamacare. Oh, they're calling it no now. no Obamacare, huh? Well, I i don't see you heading for your fainting couch, so I guess you're okay with it. I, I'm
1: an Affordable Care Act type of
0: guy. Yes, so. and I think that's what we should call it, too, the Affordable <laughs> Care Act. But fortunately, today we actually uh, have an OD Wire regular... Uh, with us on the show, we have Dr. Richard Frankel, who, if you've been on OD Wire, you've seen his his um, rather detailed posts about the ACA, and today is all about how you, as an eye care practitioner, can actually profit from the ACA and not not be scared, because um, we've had enough fear on the site. I think don't don't you agree that there's just too much too much fear? Yeah, yep. Yeah, well, and um,
1: and they don't even know what not to know.
0: Exactly. We so. we don't we want facts. We don't want fear. So. Um, so uh, Dr. Frankel has actually been in practice uh, for quite some time. What's, what's really important actually about his practice is that he's been part of mainstream medicine for a very long time. Um, he's been an attending physician uh, at the Department of Ophthalmology at Robert Wood Johnson University Hospital since 1983. Um, so he's had the inside track on mainstream medicine for a long time. So when you see his posts on the ACA, you know that he knows what he's talking about. Um, and we're really grateful to have him here today with us to talk all about uh, the ACA. So, Dr. Frankel, thanks so much for being here, and also
1: being being grateful. This is a non-sponsored radio show, oh, uh, wow. which means oh. that uh, <laughs> we are here through the beneficence. Is that a word? Beneficence Bene- of, the, our, <laughs> of our supporting members. Yes, thank
0: you, supporting uh, members. We couldn't do this without you. And, uh, and you know, I guess without a sponsor, that means we can say whatever we want, right? Exactly. So. Uh, no, so. no
1: lawyers No lawyers to, to, to second-guess us. Right. Okay. So
0: anyway, Richard, thanks so much for being here today. <laughs> it's my pleasure. So I guess, I, guess, I guess before we kick off and actually talk about the ACA, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself and your practice uh, and sort of the demographics of your patient base?
2: Okay. Well... I practice in a um, medical arts building. Um, <clears throat> there are no walk-ins here. I'm on the second floor. You have to take the elevator up and go down the hallway. Um, basically, it's strictly by word of mouth uh, and referrals from other physicians. Uh, it's an integrated uh, practice where um, we've been sharing patient data for years. And uh, although we do some... Um, Uh, vision care plans, uh, our primary focus is on on the medical aspect. As far as the demographics go, uh, we try and specialize in patients who are alive. The dead ones just don't make it. (laughs) Uh, As a matter of fact, it's kind of hard to get paid by the dead ones. So uh, we uh, tend to do that. Basically, ages go from about four on up. And um, we do uh, a... uh, uh, a large contact lens volume, particularly the multifocal contacts. Um, so it's worked out very well for us. Um,
1: so, you know, so to, to get to, get to the, uh, the, the the discussion today, it's so important that everyone understand that you are part of the medical establishment, as it were, because you uh, you have hospital privileges, which is rare for optometry. Uh, can can you go about letting us know? How did you manage to get this? This was 1983. When uh, it was a long time ago, uh, how did you manage to get the uh, in into a hospital that's as prestigious as the uh, the Robert Wood Johnson University Hospital?
2: Well, what I found when I first started practicing was we were losing a lot of patients uh, to medical, um, and we were out of the loop and um, I saw that the hospital was a key component. So I tried to uh, apply for privileges, and of course I was told at the time an optometrist uh, wouldn't be allowed on staff, it's against um, our bylaws, and um, I said, you know, that isn't quite right. Uh, We've got to look at things a little bit differently. Um, I I even went so far at uh, one of the other hospitals around here that's run by the Catholic Church to talk to the bishop. And he said he didn't want to get involved. So I had to approach it a little bit uh, on a different angle. And I belong to the Lions Club. And what happened was, at the time, we had a Lions Club eye clinic there that we were funding. And we invited the um, head of the Department of Ophthalmology to come and make a, uh, a pitch for some money. And he did, and while he was there, he was set up by a question that I had prearranged through what we call the district governor of the Lions Club as to um, why there were no uh, Lions Club members um, that were participating in the uh, program. And of course, looking for money, uh, this ophthalmologist said, well, if you have anyone, we'll be happy to take them. Within 24 hours, A certified letter went to him, the med staff office, and the CEO of the hospital, uh, taking him up on the offer, and they couldn't back down. So um, that's how I got privileges.
1: That's great. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Wonderful story. (laughs) Uh, So then once you got in, uh, Mm -hmm. did you manage to get get involved in in committees and, and do all the stuff that's involved in hospital work?
2: Well, basically, I was kind of looked at as um, uh, the odd duck of the situation. Uh, The first day I was there, I had a um, uh, uh, urologist uh, say to me, you're just an eyeglass salesman. What are you doing here? You don't belong here. This is for real doctors. And um, I just let it pass. And I was assigned to see some patients. Uh, through the eye clinic. And within the first month, I had picked up some pituitary tumors, thyroids, and interestingly enough, a lithium imbalance that I had picked up. And word got around that all of a sudden, we weren't just eyeglass salesmen. Uh, we could do more. And I had scope of practice privileges uh, built in, so that as our scope uh, increased, so did uh, my ability to do different things. And it worked out very well. And as time went by, I, of course, went to different meetings and made sure people knew who I was. And by doing that and volunteering for some committees, I got asked for more and more committees. And it's worked out very well over the years.
1: So, you know, uh, this should have made you a star in New Jersey, <laughs> right? <laughs> <You know? laughs> and and I assume that been, when when you become a star, you also become active in the association. And mm-hmm. uh, and, and I I imagine you were quite active in the New Jersey Optometric Association, but you're not anymore. Uh, No. What happened?
2: Okay. Um, What happened, uh, and quite honestly, when I had told him that I was going for hospital privileges, the executive director, Dave Grimm, uh, was against it. And um, he said there's no place for optometry in a hospital. Uh, Well, you see how well that got. Um. About three years later, we had the uh, HMOs and the um, um, IPAs start. And I know we're going to get into that later, so I'm just going to skip over this. And say, at that point, point, um, I one of my good friends it was the Speaker of the Assembly, which is one of the two houses of government in New Jersey. And um, we had an opportunity to get into that. And um, again, we'll get into this in a little bit more detail later. And N.J. Way at the time turned it down. I did go on the board of directors for 10 years. And um, uh, during that time, uh, introduced a bunch of things from um, buying groups to uh, different member benefits. And after 10 years, enough was enough. And I left, which is just as well, because what happened was I developed some health problems. In fact, I lost half my colon uh, with a number of different surgeries. It resulted in my being out of office, the office for about a year, and uh, total disability. And it was followed by the first of what is now six heart attacks. Um, So, uh,
1: I don't want to get uh, you too excited here, (laughs) Richard. You got to be (laughs) worried.
2: If I told you when the last heart attack was, you would be surprised. Oh dear. Uh, So anyway, what happened was was that uh, I was dropped from NJOA or now NJSOP for non-payment of dues. We uh, had told them that I was out on disability and at one point after one of the series of surgeries, um, the area had become infected. I was literally sewn up like a sneaker twice a day and that's when I got the letter from NJSOP saying, you're out, goodbye. Um, And at that point, Um, My wife and I talked about it, and we said, we're not going back. We're going on our own, and that's what we did. We went on our own, and um, the people that I had been friends with through the hospital uh, were very, very nice, and um, they worked with me, and they've worked with me over the years. We've developed quite a network of people from um, uh, different areas of medicine, Um, almost every insurance company in New Jersey. And um, from this, um, we all get together, we all uh, socialize, and we're able to do things. And this is important, because knowledge is key. And you have to know what's going on, what is going to come about, and how to react to it. Right, you can't so- be in a su- I'm sorry?
0: Absolutely. And in fact, this brings us to the, the probably the, the, big, the main part of our talk here. Um, you know, I'm... Young, but old enough to remember when HMOs first came around. Um, Mm -hmm. And now, of course, we have Obamacare. So, you know, with, with all that you've seen and the evolution throughout the decades, how do you think Obamacare compares to what you saw maybe back then with HMOs?
2: Okay, well, with HMOs, what happened was they didn't want optometry. And they were very specific that the ophthalmologists were united against us. And they said we weren't doctors. Uh, We didn't, and this this was their big mistake. They um, used the uh, uh, statement that we didn't have hospital privileges. Well, uh, my hospital started what was called a PHO, Physicians Hospital Organization, which I joined. It was $2,000 to join, and this gave me protection. And what I did was, uh, through them, I went to different organizations and said, look, the time has come. You have to give uh, me access to your panels. Signet was originally called ComEd at the time, and they bought it. In fact, they went to the ophthalmologists in the area, and where the ophthalmologist specifically said, over their dead body, would I be allowed in? Uh, ComEd said to them, he's going to drive the bus right over you because he's got the same... Uh, credentials as what you have, and they had a cave. And from there, the rest caved. The problem was was that the rest of the people in New Jersey, and I'm talking about optometrists, didn't have this advantage. And there was the option of going in with podiatry on a bill that would mandate optometric participation. Uh, one, once again, the NJSRP chose not to get involved with this And it took two years afterwards for optometry to pass their own bill. So uh, kind of gave me a a major heads uh, up on this and a major advantage uh, in that we were getting a tremendous flow of patients. And this is the prime difference between what you're seeing now with the um, accountable care organizations, which is part of Obamacare. Um, Now they're welcoming us. They're saying, we want you you can do all these things and you're more accessible than ophthalmology. And ophthalmology is saying we don't know what's going on so they are literally staying aloof. Uh, so this is something that we need to exploit uh, as optometry. You know, you are and, what the
1: old red said used to say you're in the catbird seat. Uh, you have heard 30 years of experience. <laughs> you haven't heard that for a while, huh? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> No. So, so uh, yeah. So basically, you've been in this business of of, of working with we, cooperatively with medicine for over thirty years. Yes. Uh, and and now you're you're ready to you're ready to move and and you 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 help trying to help optometry to do it. So let's let's get down to the nitty, nitty gritty because uh, there's always the alphabet soup. So my first question is, what is Medicare S? As in Sam, G as in George, R as in Wait, Ralph. wait, 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 wait. I have
0: I have something before that. You, you used okay. a term, Richard, that I don't think a lot of people know, and I think that we need to go over it. You used the, the the acronym ACO. So before we even get into SGR and all that alphabet soup, let's start with the most basic. So what's an, an ACO, and why is it important for everyone to join?
2: Okay. Um, an ACO stands for Accountable Care Organization. It's this generation's version of an HMO. And what we're seeing are groups of doctors get together and they're saying, we can save money um, by coordinating our care, by taking the patients, making sure they follow our advice and making sure that they take their medications. And what they found was that for every dollar of preventative care that's spent, they're saving $6 in potential complications. Uh, this has been proven nationally. Now, previously, when we didn't have the scope of practice we have now, we were kind of uh, second class in terms of what we were considered as um, uh, high care providers. Right now, they're looking at us as primary, more so than ophthalmology. We're usurping that market we're relegating ophthalmology to an area of surgery, and that's it. We have become the primary face for eye care, and what we're seeing is one of what we call the metrics or measures of success is patient satisfaction, meaning do they love us when they come in? Well, in general, they love optometry. We're warm, we're friendly, and we're not aloof. And this is a critical uh, measurement that's necessary for success. And more so, well, I would say more so than the dollars saved. We'll get into that later. But in terms of the uh, uh, patient satisfaction, they want to come to us, and we can provide the total care that they need. And this is a prime importance to the ACOs.
0: Got it. And so. I had a- Right. I'm sorry I was just you know wondering you know Paul mentioned the Medicare SGR and I'm wondering how that plays in to the ACO
2: okay uh, last May I was at a meeting in fact um, I had dinner with the uh, uh, president of the AMA dr. Carmel Peter Carmel um, and he was lecturing uh, after the dinner um, about the uh, the new medicare solution to the problem of increasing costs that um, medicare is incurring and actually it isn't so much physicians fees it isn't hospital fees it's drug costs but we're the targets so the ama had worked out a plan to uh, bring this under control and stop where every um, year We were being threatened with a 24% uh, cut in our fees because it was ridiculous going further. And so what they did was they said, okay, we're going to do five years and we're going to do a 0.5% increase per year. And what you're seeing is a sustained growth uh, rate. And that's what we're talking about now. We're talking about getting this under control. And that's where the SGR comes from. Now, as part of the bill, we have to have a – the phrase they use is a considerable amount of our income from alternative method payment plans. And what that means is that whether it be an ACO, um, an MSP, which we'll get to – which stands for Medicare Shared Savings Plan, a considerable amount has to come from that. And I'm hearing 30%. So, unless you want to incur a penalty in terms of your Medicare payments, you're going to have to join one of these organizations, one at the minimum. They would also like you to join one that involves Medicaid, of course. But uh, we'll see if that happens. Is there, so, a, is
0: there a time that you actually have to do this by, where you have to join this organization?
2: Seventeen, two thousand seventeen. 17, 2017. Okay. Okay. Um, That's according to the law. Now, I haven't seen anything mentioned in optometry about this. And I brought this up on the thread that uh, this was in there and this was something that we had to be concerned with. This is why it's important for people to join these ACOs. The penalties will accelerate to the point of a 9% penalty. Now, as a carrot to get you in it as well, when you have to do your um, quality uh, measures in terms of uh, meaningful use, you can do this as a group, not as an individual. So you don't have to worry that you've screwed up somehow in your office because it's the group that's submitting for these things, the PQRS.
1: Well, this is so and, important. Uh, for those of you that are listening to this driving, why don't you just pull over, <laughs> stop, <laughs> stop, and you're write doing. this down because this time this is a time limit, and you yes, have to do when something. When you hear
2: the time limit, you're going to go crazy. Yeah, it's right. because in order for you to get in for next year, you have to have your paperwork in by the end of next month. Oh dear. <laughs> yeah, I just got this word yesterday. I had a uh, a conference call. This surprised me, but in order for these organizations to get you registered with the Center for Medicaid and Medicare uh, Services, uh, you have to have your paperwork in by the end of next month. Wow. And now, by the way, everyone, here.
0: and today's, today's it's, it's July 2014 right now, in case anyone's listening to this, you know, years into the future. So, <laughs> wow. Okay. So, so, I guess the question then is, how do you do this?
2: <laughs> okay. Well, uh, we had come up with a roadmap, Um, and um, uh, this was um, presented on OD Wire. It was also um, e-blasted through what was the AOS at the time. Um, And what we have to do is you have to, in your state, go to the CMS.gov website, look up who is licensed to run an ACO in your state. They will give you a contact name, number, website, get on there, ask for an application. It's extremely important that you do this. You also need to contact your hospitals near you. Contact the med staff office. Ask who is in charge of being the liaison to the ACOs. Every hospital is participating in an ACO. If the med staff says, we don't know, Ask for the senior vice president, contact them. Follow your phone calls up with letters. You need to establish a paper trail. This is extremely important. Now, as far as um, uh, insurance companies, every insurance company is is starting ACOs. It makes sense to. It's a method of cutting costs. They can go to their stockholders and say, look, we're keeping up with the times. This is what we're offering uh, our uh, clients, and we have doctors willing to sign up for it. Right now, I can tell you Aetna, United Healthcare, Cigna, The Blues, Blue Cross Blue Shield, all have uh, ACOs. It's important you get on them. If you don't, again, you're left off on the sideline, you're out of the loop. The referral patterns are changing, and the number of participating providers are changing too. You have to get in on the ground floor.
0: Let, can I just, let me just stop you for one second. Um, can I join more than one of these or should I? Yes. Okay.
2: Yes. To answer your question, I have four. <laughs> okay. um,
0: but you need at least one. At least one yes. so you don't get penalized. Okay.
2: Okay. The concept is um, contributing attributable lives. Now, what does that mean? It means that. Um, every ACO has so many people that they have to account for luckily for us the people who contribute these attributable lives as in patients are the primaries not the specialties which is what we're considered so a primary care provider can only belong to one ACO we can belong to as many as we want and by doing so it gives you more streams of patients. So uh, that's it's a very good uh, point you brought up.
1: Now, there's another word that, that keeps being bandied about, and I'm not clear what it is. The word called gain-sharing. What's, what's a gain-sharing program?
2: Okay. The gain-sharing program um, started out as an experiment uh, about a year ago. And um, the way it worked uh, was the federal government wanted to uh, reduce costs without decreasing the level of quality in fact what they did was they said we want to bring the cost down to the lowest 25 (laughs) percent so they said what can you do in a hospital to bring the cost down so simple things Uh, rather than the last day of a hospitalization running tests run them on an uh, outpatient basis it's much cheaper and what they did was they said, if you can do this, we'll give you money. And what they gave uh, was uh, $300 to the admitting physician and $500 to the surgeon uh, if they were willing to participate in, uh, in this program. Well, naturally, this program is spread from one uh, side of the country to the other coast because it's become extremely popular. Um, Again, at a med meeting I was at, uh, they talked about how kids' tuition payments were going to be uh, made through this program. And what this did was it legitimatized different uh, treatment methods. And this way, insurance companies, such as Medicare, can't question what you're doing. And this is an important concept. Uh, I wanted this extended to optometry. There was uh, two programs uh, that went where there was $1 billion available in grant money to come up with other programs for other professions that would uh, come up with cost-saving methods that would also ensure the quality of care. Well, unfortunately, optometry didn't do this and the Gain Sharing Program is now being made a major part of the Medicare um, solution to keep uh, costs under control. The problem is, is that we have to justify different treatment patterns, different tests for different diseases. And whereas the Gain Sharing Program has been in effect now for over a year, and they have the data, we have no data. And this is going to create a problem for us as we go forward. Right now, the, uh, when 2017 comes, whereas it's, there's no risk sharing whatsoever in these programs with Medicare and ACOs and commercial ventures, there will be in two th- 2017. So we have to be able to say, here is our metrics, this is what we have done. We can justify it. And this is where we're going. I don't see that happening at this uh, point.
0: Is anyone collecting those metrics?
2: <laughs> no, absolutely not. Well, Did, wait, um, wait, yeah. wait, wait. I got a question before Paul says anything. Do you have
0: any opinion about who should be collecting those metrics? <laughs>
2: <laughs> yes. Uh, it should be organized optometry. should have um, uh, requested their own version of gain-sharing to extend it to optometry so that the metrics could have been collected, could have been compiled, and we could present it at that time.
1: Well, in all fairness, and maybe organized optometry is doing something, and I hope we can get word from them uh, to, to know what they're doing for this gain-sharing program. Uh but I would have be one, very nice. Well, one question I have is about the hated vision care plans. How do they fit into this picture?
2: Well... Interestingly enough, right now, um, they're fitting in um, very, very well, Uh, and that's because we've let them. But we do have an opportunity to change things, and that's because an ACO is based upon decreasing costs, and a vision care plan is one that makes a profit. Well, if we can eliminate that profit, then we've eliminated them. And by taking uh, our routine eye care and saying we can cut costs by moving this over to strictly medical, then what will happen is, is that this helps minimize a vision care plan. I'll get into materials in a second. Now, we are small potatoes, let's be honest. Um, when uh, in terms of the grand scheme of costs compared to oncology, retinal surgery, um, or uh, even macular degeneration, we are small potatoes in costs. So to move us over is very, very easy and represents uh, very, very little in the grand scheme of things. So we can eliminate the need for a vision care plan for any type of routine services, uh, and we should have them eliminated for any type of medical care because it's against the the basic tenet of an ACL. The problem is we have 100 million people in this country who are covered by vision care plans who are used to, whether you like it or not, discounted uh, materials. We're not going to put that genie back in the bottle. That's gone. That's going to be here. Whether We say that we can administer it on our own with a fixed dollar amount, which would, in effect, close out a vision care plan totally, or we have to cede that to a vision care plan. I don't know, but that's something that we need to work on as a group. And either way, what we're doing is we're maximizing our income on services uh, and realizing that the error of... Um, undiscounted materials is long gone, right? And we, I, I, as a matter of fact, Adam, I think you had something about um, uh, internet commerce. Ah, uh, yes, we um, were discussing
0: this today on the site. That's right.
2: Yep, I, I didn't um, see what was on today. I so saw it was on yesterday. Um, but the, the bottom line is, is that it, you're right. It is here. Um, whether you're buying something from Amazon or you're uh, on eBay it's here and it's a viable option for people how many people are coming into your office now and taking selfies of different frames are trying on well the software is there to do the same thing without coming to your office I know at this point it's not gaining in popularity but it will in the future and it's something we're gonna to have to deal with the software is there for example where a patient can try on frames at at their house, on their iPad or laptop, whatever, and they can pick the frame, they can pick the style, the color, whatever. Whether you have it or not, that's what they want and that's what their vision care plan is providing them. And we at some point may find ourselves closed out of the material market. I don't like it any more than anybody else does. But the bottom line is, it's going to come. We saw this in contact lens materials, and we'll probably see it in glasses in the future. Um, you know, It's just something we have to deal with. In contacts, we were able to compensate for it with contact lens measuring fees by increasing those. Uh, I know I have friends who never charged it before, and now finally they're charging it. Why they didn't, I don't know, but it, it's just a reality that this sure. is the way they operate.
1: You just get back to the affordable care organizations. Sure. Uh, can can can, there, can an organization be dropped? Can can the...
2: Oh yes. Uh, as a matter of fact, United Healthcare has done just this. And what's happened is is that um, they have uh, dropped different panels um, on the basis of cutting costs and um, brought in new panels and the AMA is taking a very aggressive stance against this uh, both legislatively and legally and I was at one meeting where somebody said to me where is your organization why aren't they backing us because the same thing can happen to optometry and where the papers have had stories about people who have um, had doctor patient relationships for 20 years and they're dropped at the end of the contract and a new panel comes in. And from what these articles are saying, as long as there's an equal number and an equal geographic distribution of providers, the insurance companies can do it. So uh, we're going to be seeing this as another factor. This is why when Adam asked, can you belong to more than one ACO? The answer is you better to protect your patient stream for the future. You have no choice.
0: Wow, so you just made everyone's jobs a lot tougher because not only do they have to figure out how to join one, they're going to have to go online and really figure out how to join a few. <laughs> right, well. Uh,
2: well, interestingly enough, Adam, um, a lot of people have been joining very successfully. And um, the um, uh, the thing that we're seeing is, uh, at least from the emails I'm getting, and uh, from uh, Maryland on the East Coast to... Um, uh, California. I got one last night. Um, that um, uh, it's not a case of begging or saying how cost effective we are. It's a case of saying we belong, and they're getting in. So um, uh, the um, uh, the ability to do so is there. Uh, it's just motivating uh, the optometrists to do it. Right. This is where we're headed.
0: Is there any fear? Do you think on the part of, of folks in care that if, well, if I start joining an ACO, we're going to be sort of subsumed by the ACO itself. We're not going to be independent anymore. Do you ever sort of hear that fear articulated?
2: Okay. <laughs> on my floor uh, of office, the office building I'm in, I have a dermatologist, psychiatrist, internal medicine, and oncologist. Um, and if I went to each office and asked them that question, They'd all say, yes, it's not just us, it's everybody. We're all working at the mercy of not just an ACO, but of the insurance companies. And like it or not, this is the way medicine in general is going. I mean, how many times are we on the phone with pharmacists uh, going over what's uh, allowed for a patient's formulary? Uh, we're going back 20 years on something as as stupid uh, as allergic conjunctivitis because they're looking for the cheapest that they can get. If I go to internal medicine and say, "Hey, do you have that problem?" Uh, after they, before they throw me out, they'll uh, you know be laughing hysterically. Of course they do. Uh, everybody has this problem. So looking and, uh,
1: looking to the future though, uh, if you uh, ran the, an optometric organization. By fiat, now you're the head of the optometric organization. Uh, well, what would you like to see them do? How 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 can optometry protect itself?
2: Uh, the best protection, uh, the best def- you've heard it before. The best defense is an aggressive offense. Um, we should continue to expand um, our scope of practice. Number one. Number two. Um, a year ago, uh, I had posted that each state needed to check with the uh, Attorney General's office to see that they had the same rights and protections under an ACO that we achieved under HMOs. Um, We need to protect ourselves. We need to be aggressive in the way we approach things. We can't just sit back and wait for something to happen and then react to it. We need to act in advance. And this has been a problem we've had uh, in the past no one has sat down and said we see this as an emerging trend we have to make plans uh, for this I mean uh, uh, when you say what could you do okay I would say here's a book Uh, actually a book would would not be good here's a pamphlet because uh, I know I wouldn't read a book Uh, here's a, a pamphlet of the problems that you're going to be facing and here's what you can do to confront them in advance so that they don't adversely uh, affect you. This is what I've been doing. I've been listening to people uh, over the past couple of years to determine uh, what was coming down the pike. I mean, the uh, Obamacare didn't just come out of the blue. And uh, this was something that we saw. Now, uh, some people have... uh, I said, well, uh, Clinton tried to get Hillary Care in, and maybe we'll see that in the future. We might. Single-payer um, uh, is definitely an option for the future, but the question is, uh, it's something that we need to look at and see how this would affect us. Um, you know, you, they, you you'll, be, that,
1: you'll, be, you'll be you're raising so many questions, and and I know there are many listeners that are hearing you for the first time. I know you've been writing and you have thousands of views on O.D. Wire. Uh, but there, you, I'm certain there are going to be tons of questions. And what I suggest uh, is that at the end of the radio show, there's a, a part at the bottom of the, uh, of the show where you link up. Uh, there's room for questions. And I'm sure uh, Dr. Frankel would be happy to answer any questions that come in. Uh, mm-hmm. So uh, when, when you do have a question, just write it down. Uh, because if you have that question, I'm certain there are hundreds of others with very similar questions that would like to, to see the answer. So I think, Gad, we may be some final thoughts. That, yeah, I think, I think we're just about out now. of time.
0: So, Richard, you got any final thoughts for us before we go?
2: Well, I think the most important thing is, is that uh, we're all in this together. We have no choice. We have to work together. We have to have a unified front. We have to look at the issues. Um, we've seen uh, how medicine is affected Uh, we're not alone we're part of an integrated landscape a healthcare landscape and we have to act accordingly and the biggest problem that I see is if we don't take advantage of these opportunities Uh, this is now a new generation that started whether people understand it or not and within the next three years Uh, we'll be looking back at this and saying, well, we got through it, but we're going to be so much better now. And that's uh, the major point that I want to uh, uh, nail home.
1: Great. Well, thanks so much for your time. Adam, any more final thoughts? No,
0: and I think what we're going to do is we'll we'll have this interview up on wire. and I think what we're also going to do, since this is a time-sensitive one, we'll also make links straight to your posts on how to join an ACO uh, so people can really, you know, get on it as quickly as possible. <laughs>
1: <Sounds> <laughs> so, thanks for listening. Thanks so much.